welcome to Larry Reedy's America. Uh, today, our special guest is Andy Allen, who is the principal of Batesville High School in Batesville, Indiana. So, Andy, welcome to my podcast. Larry, thanks for having me on today. It's a true honor to be a part of your podcast. Well, thank you. Uh, Andy, uh, where were you born, grade school, high school? I'll ask you a few questions and go on to college. Sure. So, Larry, I was born in Lebanon, Indiana, which is uh, just north of Indianapolis, up 65. And, uh, and my, my mom and dad, Brad and Nancy Allen, kind of grew up in that area. Uh, one sister, uh, so we were two years apart. So kind of a just true small American family. Grade school, went through the entire Lebanon Community School Corporation system. Both my parents were teachers. And so this profession that I'm in now is something that I never wanted to be in. I, I, I grew up at the dining room table hearing about education and, and being a part of it and, and had a phenomenal educational experience at Lebanon High School. I uh, was at Central Elementary, then moved to, to Lebanon Middle School. There was four different elementaries in the Lebanon School Corporation. So it was a one transition was four different elementaries would come into one middle school. So you're, you're kind of a big fish in a, in a small pond, and then you become a, a fish in a, in a pond there at, at Lebanon Middle School, and then you go to the high school. And at that time, it was just over, uh, I think, 850 kids. And so not a lot bigger than, than Batesville at the time. It's grown some since then. But at, at Lebanon was a, a lot like Batesville. It's a small town, USA feel to it. Indianapolis was was a community just as, as Cincinnati as I, we identify with Cincinnati here. Indianapolis was always the place that you went. We, we didn't often go to Purdue University, which was 35 miles uh, up the road. We, we were an IU family, remained an IU family. So we, we didn't spend a lot of time in West Lafayette, but I grew up in a, in a great spot and, and I just was really blessed to have a family that was, that was connected, uh, very faith-based family, middle, middle class. My grandparents lived there in Lebanon and, and I spent a lot of time with my grandparents. My, my uh, paternal grandparents lived in Frankfurt, Indiana. And, and so we just spent a lot of time with, with family and, and just did the kind of the traditional upbringing that you would that we think about as, as kind of a, a traditional kid, I guess you'd yeah. say. Well, when when you were grade school, high school, what what did you want to be afterwards, or did you have any idea? I did, and I always wanted to be the voice the voice of the Chicago Cubs. I still do to this day. Really? Uh, I, you know, that was a time when cable became uh, prevalent in some homes, and so yeah. I would I would watch the Cubs in the afternoon, and I'd watch the on WGN, and I watched the Braves at, at night on WTBS, and. At that time, Larry, we saw or I saw about 200 losses a year yeah. uh, because neither team was very good. And I always enjoyed listening to, to Harry in the afternoon and then Harry and Steve in the afternoon and then listening to, to whoever the Braves had at night. And I just fell in love with the, the storytelling of, of a game. Yeah. And it was a I would I would have old recordings of, of me just kind of doing games at, at the time. And uh, then as, as time progressed and, and I've I've just I went a different route and I. I I don't have a lot of regrets in this world, but yeah. sometimes I wonder where that would have gone. And, and we can talk a little bit about some times I was able to call Batesville basketball. I was very privileged to do that for a couple of years before while I was a principal. But if uh, if something happened to Pat Hughes today and, and God willing, nothing won't, uh, I would apply for that job immediately. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to be a pro baseball player, but that didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was probably a dream as well. I played baseball all through all through high school, could have played collegiately and just chose to go to IU instead. But yeah. But at the same time, I, I love the story of a baseball game over the course of nine innings. And as that has changed over time, and I, I was watching a game last night and the pitch clock and, and all these things, and I, I understand the, the value of not 
uh, of trying to fit into some TV windows. But the storytelling that goes on to the baseball oh. game, uh, if I'm not listening to a podcast in the summertime, I'm listening to Pat and Ron on, on uh, the, the Cubs app. Mm-hmm. And just how they tell the story uh, of the game itself is just so, for me, very relaxing to listen to. Well, when, when I was a kid, Wade Hoyt was broadcasting for Cincinnati Reds, and Wade Hoyt played with Ruth and Gehrig, mm-hmm. and you know he was a pitcher. And when there was a rain delay, there was nothing like listening to Wade Hoyt. I mean, it was really, really great. But uh, I, I know I, I played for, when I was in the service, I was an MP, and then, uh, but uh, three months out of the year, I jocked, I played for Army Atlantic Baseball. And, uh, but I, I never had that real desire to, to stay with it. Yeah. Baseball is a fun game, and, and it's uh, as much as I'm involved in basketball now. Uh, it, baseball just is that that it's timeless storytelling of a game. It, there's a, a lot of downtime, which I know at times people think it's boring, but to, to be a part of it, it whether you're, I was a pitcher growing up and, and shortstop in center field, it's always kind of liked being in places where where action was. But sometimes just standing out, just shagging fly balls or, or taking ground balls was as relaxing and, and a way just to spend an afternoon. Well, you know, people that really haven't played the game don't realize when, when you're 90 feet away and that ball comes in at 90-plus miles an hour, I mean, it's... And, and, or it just drops off the face of the earth. These, today, the, the batters, when the guys, the pitchers on 85% of the game, and when the batters look so bad, swinging a third strike, they can't help it. That, that ball's coming in. It looks like it's coming straight at you and it drops off the table. I, I, I pitched all, all my life, and that's uh, uh, and it's fun. All the little little quick story. Uh, we, I, I, the, in the service, I, I would say it's, it's like double A. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe a little higher because there were some triple A ball players uh, that were drafted, but uh, we were playing Allbrook Air Force Base, and the catcher for this team was his name was Jim Abercrombie. I'll never forget him because fifteen years in the service, he was an E seven, and when he wasn't playing baseball, he worked four hours a day. Stayed at Allbrook. They wouldn't let him go. He was a good, good ball player, but he, he was a great fastball hitter. So I struck him out three times, and I had this Captain Marvel mentality at the time. I was really having a game. So uh, his fourth time at bat, I threw him a fastball, and he just looked at it, and. The catcher kept flashing the sinker sign to me, and because you know, the way I got him out, they called a backdoor slider now. But when I was a kid, it was a screwball, and you break your hand the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. It looks like it's coming right down the middle plate, and it's out of the guy strikes on mm-hmm. left-hander. I kept shaking him off, and he went like this. So I threw him another fastball. He hit it. Not only out of the park, he hit it over a light <laughs> tower, and 
And at the end, uh, the Air Force had a much better facilities than the Army. So we went in the cafeteria, ordered a pitcher of beer. Jim comes over and he said, uh, you know, Ted Williams was right. I said, right about what? He said, pitchers are mostly assholes. <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? He said, why would you ever think that I wasn't going to hit that fastball of yours? I said, because I was on a roll. He says, hey, guess what? You rolled out. <laughs> so, so, you know, you live and learn. But any, anyway, so back to you. When, when did you start thinking about being a teacher? Well, I went to Indian University again. I, I grew up, Larry, and I would tell anybody that, that would ask, you know, well, what do you want to do? I'm like, well, I don't want to teach. And, and I, but I fell in love with coaching basketball. I, I had a... Uh, my career at Lebanon was was a was a good career, but I, I played for a guy that now has 600 plus wins, and that's uh, Jim Shannon, who just retired from New Albany. And and, and coach and I didn't always see eye to eye uh, during my playing time, but I just knew that I, I loved being around the game. I loved coaching, and so I, I went to IU and kind of flailed around a little bit, and and um, I, I I had an opportunity to to go coach, and I, I applied to three places, and and when I was at IU, I. Bloomington South, Bloomington North, and Brown County High School. And all three offered me the position. Bloomington South, we could have coached under J.R. Holmes. And, and uh, he said, you know, you kind of be at the end of the bench and, and you'll, you'll do some things. And J.R. is the winningest coach in, in uh, Indiana High School basketball right now. Bloomington North at the time, Tom McKinney said, you'll be one of our top assistants. And at that time, they had Jared Jeffries, Sean May, Andre Bridgewater. Uh, two of those played professionally. And then Brown County offered me an opportunity to to be the varsity assistant. I was going to be right in the middle of the action. And so uh, instead of choosing either Bloomington schools, I chose Brown County High School, which ended up being one of the best decisions from being just immersed in coaching at the time. And when I told my dad I was taking that position, he said, well, you you do know that to to be an Indiana high school basketball coach, you have to teach, right? I said, I I do. And I said, that's that's what I want to do. And so to, to be a head basketball coach, that means I'm going to get into the classroom. He said, well, what are you going to teach? So I really don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't know. Whatever. I whatever I need to. And at the time, he said, "Well, who was your favorite teacher?" And a guy by the name was. A, he's a family friend, but John Goodwin. We called him Goody. And uh, he's uh, was one of the best teachers I've ever. I've been a part of taught, uh, U.S. history, government, and economics. And Goody became a teacher that just did things differently. And then I modeled my classroom in many ways after John Goodwin. And. And although Goody was a family friend, he was one of the most difficult teachers that, that you could have. He would challenge you, always open thought, always, uh, you know, what else, what else, what else, would take the other side. And, and even if he didn't agree, you could tell sometimes he didn't agree, he just would make you think. And, and so that was, was the kind of teacher that I wanted to be. So I became a, a government teacher uh, at Batesville High School. And, and so government, econ, and U.S. history. And that's just, that's the route I wanted to go. And so I spent... Uh, two years at IU when I was at, at Brown County, um, just as, as a volunteer assistant and JV basketball coach it was, well, I was a student, student taught in the fall and then had an opportunity to go back to Brown County to continue coaching after I graduated. And I, I was a full-time sub for an algebra class. And I learned quickly that I didn't want anything to do with math. I was algebra, <laughs> algebra one was just fine. Algebra two was, was just at a different league. So that, that was the career that I chose. And, and, it wasn't a calling to teach in by any way. And yeah. in fact, I, I shied away from it. My, my family's teachers, my sister's a teacher at Lebanon Middle School. My dad was a, 
was a principal at, at Lebanon Middle School and a longtime elementary teacher. My mom taught first grade for 30 plus years. And so I guess it's in our blood. My oldest daughter, Hannah, is going to go into go into teaching. So I don't know that that's how I got there. And I, I just really enjoyed the coaching aspect of it. And, and teaching was just going to be part of it. Yeah. Well, we have uh, my my oldest daughter, Julie, uh, she t- uh, she taught at ICA for a while, but she's uh, been at Mount, Don- Mount Notre Dame for years in Cincinnati, and she's head of language department. And then uh, Maddie, who you mm-hmm. know, yep. she uh, just graduated, and she's going to be a teacher yep. somewhere. Yes. I mean, uh, I told her, stay out of the hood. <laughs> Get... Uh, uh, you know, get get in a nice little suburb someplace, sure. and uh, and she's excited about that. But those are the only two teachers, you know, in the family. So. It's an interesting profession. Over time, uh, you know, there's there's a, a lot of things that that have occurred in education, and, and most of them are good. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's a great profession for people to get in. We see a lot of people now that are transitioning into teaching. Maybe they. They don't want to teach, but then they go to some different areas and they think, you know, being in the classroom and being able to impact a, a lot of kids and, and you're not always life changing. It is a, it is a, com, a profession of complete delayed gratification. So that, mm-hmm. that's the one that is the most difficult part to understand is that the, the impact that you have on kids may not be seen in a school year. It, it may not, you know, when we leave right before Memorial Day, you may not see the finished product. But now doing this long enough and, and seeing a lot of our teachers and, and kids will come back and they'll, they'll talk about experiences that they've had in di- different classrooms and how that taught them something that 20 years later maybe have taken to apply. And I, I give just mentioning John Goodwin, Goody, for, for a two-year time frame provided me examples of how I started my classroom every day, which was you know, anybody got anything. And that was a, an invitation for kids to take control of the class. And we'll talk about whatever they wanted to talk about, whatever they wanted to bring in, and then became my job to tie that back into the subject matter that I wanted to do uh, that day. And I, I thank John for that. Uh, many, many years uh, ago, maybe the last time I actually saw him back, I was playing golf in Lebanon at a, at a tournament. I, I told him, Goody, I said, that I, I started my class after how you did yours. And I, I know that meant a lot to him just from the standpoint that that people are trying to take a lot from the example that you provide and, and use it later on. I think that's the ultimate compliment we get in this profession and teaching. So uh, we see that a lot. And I think people are, are today looking for that type of gratification, that type of impact they can have. And in many ways, that's, that's a lot more meaningful than, than the money or the financial impact. So as you progressed in your teaching coaching career what what was your next move so i uh in our profession a lot of times the, the quickest way to get to, to more money was just to get a master's degree and so i got my master's degree in administration and uh at that time and, and ironically it's it, it was in my office it was the first foray into to uh distance education so uh, myself and a couple of guys in, from this area we got it through ball state so we didn't have to travel to ball state so this was a new way of doing it i watched the classroom uh, at Ball State, and they had this big old he- uh, heavy phone that that you could pick up and talk into class. And so, where those classes were located right now is where my office is. So I actually got my principal's license at that time in the distance wow. education room at Batesville High School, picking up a phone, watching it on TV, and pushing a little red button, and you'd have a delay. And you know, this is Andy from Batesville, and then you hear your voice on there, and you answer your question. So I, I got that. I got my administrative license just from a standpoint I wanted my master's, and if if I ever decided to go the administrative route, I had it. 
And so after six years, I, I had an opportunity at North Decatur High School to um, junior, senior high school to apply. And, and Melvin Seifert, who was one of my mentors and a, and a great friend of mine, uh, made a call for me to so that I could get into the interview process. And Gary Cook, who used to be the uh, basketball coach there, was a principal at the time. It was for an AD and assistant principal's job. And so I go through the process and, and I didn't didn't really know what to expect. And so I went through and I uh, got called back. And, and so then I had a second interview with the superintendent, the assistant superintendent, got called back again. And then I'm meeting in front of the board. So there's a seven person board and the superintendent and Gary, and we, we go through the whole position and they offered me the job. I, and I'll never uh, forget Dr. Cup said, uh, do you want to get paid for this position? I'm like, well, well, yeah, of course. And he goes, we are you going to ask how much I said, I just figured you just tell me I didn't, I, I didn't, Larry, I didn't even know how to negotiate this stuff. So I go through, um, I go through that process and that summer, actually, I was playing golf with Gary Cook and who's my new boss. I don't really know Gary very well. And, uh, so we're out playing golf and he said, you know, it's kind of funny that you're here. I said, well, yeah, I, I didn't really expect this to happen, but, but okay. He said, well, yeah, you were the ninth candidate out of eight in the interview process. You were a favor to Melvin, uh, to interview you and, and you won. And, and Gary's a left-handed golfer and, and a very unique swing. And I said, well, what am I supposed to think about that? He goes, ah, who cares? You got the job. And he just hit the, and that was it. I mean, that, that's just, that's just what it was. And, and so I'm, I'm standing and Gary's been a, as a, remains a mentor and a friend. And so I, I'm standing there and, and, uh, the first day of school and you give this address at, at North Decatur and you're in the gym and Gary talks to all the kids and he asked me to say a few things. So I, I say a few things or whatever. And then they just, he goes through and dismisses all the kids and, I said, well, well, now what do you do? I mean, I didn't know. I mean, usually you had a class, and he said, well, I think I'm going to go get something done. So I'm, I'm just literally standing at half court at North Decatur High School in the gym by myself. I, I didn't really know what to do. And so I just kind of walked around, and maybe I'll go work through some contracts on the AD side. And and then at that point, I got a call over the radio that two kids had, had ran out of North Decatur High School. So my first day on the job, and this is even before I've eaten lunch, I'm chasing a kid down State Road 3, uh, on foot and so I, I radio and I remember I, I probably had to radio Gary what I'm doing so I, I, I radio Gary I'm like hey Gary I'm uh, chasing after uh, two kids on State Road 3 we're southbound and all I remember Gary replied back like you're you're doing what <laughs> so, so we got him stopped or whatever and it was you know it was about before we'd even eaten lunch you know I, I, I'm chasing two kids down State Road 3 and, and that was the, the very first day of school and, and all you know people are laughing they're like ah, that's a pretty unique first day but it gave me an example of just trying to figure out what I wanted to do over yeah. time and, and so that was the first position that I had in administration the very first morning I had in administration was was a, a pursuit well, how many students were at North Decatur at that time? time it was grade 7 through 12 so I think we had maybe 400 okay. 450 kids yeah. and so then I I uh, at that time, my former principal at Batesville High School was the, took the superintendent's job at Plainfield High School. And so he called and said, we have an assistant principal's position open. Would you be interested in it? And so this is at the time, and this is 2008, Plainfield High School was just being built, the Plainfield High School that it is now. And it's one of the schools that may be, may be responsible for some changes in school financing. It's just a monstrous school, beautiful school. And so we, I, they interviewed me to go up there and I got the position. And I'm walking around this brand new high school, and there are 450, 500 kids at, at North Decatur. There, there's 385 kids per class. And I, I walk through this building, and I'm like, I, I've never seen a building this big. My, my kids at the time were young. We walked in the auditorium, like, you have a movie theater as, a, as, as an auditorium. I'm like, no, nah, it's really an auditorium, but this is, it just was huge. 
and it, it taught me, it gave me some big school experience. I, I'm very thankful for that opportunity of playing field because I saw the small school experience and I saw the larger school experience mm -hmm. where, you know, you have 385, 400 kids per class. I mean, you don't know everybody and, and you have to find ways to, to connect with different kids. And we had 80 plus staff that, that were there and just even getting to know the staff was, was a challenge, much mm -hmm. less to all the kids. So had those great opportunities as an assistant principal before coming back to Batesville. Well, when uh, when you were at North Decatur, and did you have a kind of a timeline to go from assistant principal to a principal job? Or yeah, I, I did, and I, I knew that. And again, I, I Gary was a was a phenomenal resource and mentor at it. But I I looked at it like I this is something that I want to do. I, I like to lead. I, I like to. I like to find things and, and help them or, or fix them, maybe however you want to look at it. But if I were, I've always looked at it this way as an assistant. I still ask this of my assistants today. Like if I'm, if I leave, I, I want you in the back of your mind saying, if I were, if I were able to lead this, I might do this differently. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just cataloged over time. And I did this as a coach. I mean, like if I, if I ever got to make a decision in the game, I, I might make the, might make a different decision and just catalog that in my mind. And I, I didn't have a, I knew that I didn't want to be an assistant principal forever. It's it's a tough job. It, it to me it is the, the assistant principal at the high school is the toughest job in the school corporation. Really? You, you just have a lot of kids, fourteen to eighteen year olds, that that do have a mind of their own, mm -hmm. and and that's a great thing. Yeah. And, and so they like to explore, they like to challenge, they they like to push, and and it, that's what we want kids to do. So I don't want anybody to misunderstand that. But at the same time, you are trying to to box them in in some ways of, of some standards that, that we're going to apply throughout the whole school. And at the same time, knowing this as my own, two kids have, have gone through that time frame. It's also different at home, too. So it's a, it's a very unstable time in a, in a kid's life because they're just trying to find themselves. And too oftentimes we try to stifle that, that exploration. But the assistant is often the one that's in the middle of those conversations. They're tough conversations, very rewarding conversations. I always enjoy at Freudenfest hearing back you know, talking to kids maybe that that uh, I was assistant principal before and they tell me stories and Larry quite frankly I forgot most of them right but yeah. it's 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 something that has stuck with them but I, I knew that I, I wanted to do something different I wanted to lead in a different way and so six year about five to six years was going to be the timeline where I knew I was going to be I was going to want to be a principal somewhere and if I was fortunate enough for it to happen at Batesville High School yeah well, when you once you get into the administrative, didn't that hamper your coaching career? It did for a while. Uh, it was, it, it's an interesting thing where, where somewhere along the way, they, they thought you couldn't teach and coach and and or be a, an administrator and coach. And I, I guess I understand where that came from at time. At North, uh, Gary let me help with two of my good friends, Kyle Nobby and Ryan Bratton. So I was able to be around it. I actually am back into coaching now. I'm just getting ready to start my fifth year with Aaron Garrett and our boys program. We had a varsity assistant that is in the in the uh, army, and so he got deployed. And Blaine Geller, and uh, he was going to miss part of one season and all of next season. And they, uh, we asked, and Aaron asked, you know, like, would you be able to fill in? And we talked with Mr. Ketchum and some board members, and they said, as long as it doesn't impact your day to day stuff, fine. And and so, and I was okay with being fired from coaching when Blaine came back. Right. I mean, it was, it was okay. And, and so I, I did it for half a season and then I, I went through the summer and I went through the whole season and, and I found two things, Larry, that I, that 
probably has kept me in this position now. One, it reminded me why I'm in this. I, I like working with the kids. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, I, I don't care how, who, who says what about why you want to get an education. You're there working with, with kids, and, and in this case, young men, and, and watching them grow and develop in the good days and the bad days. And, and it truly is a, a process that goes through it. <clears throat> the second part is the kids got to know me differently. And that's what I think what a lot of administrators struggle with is that you become this person that walks around and that you are the boss or the leader or the principal and people don't want to approach you. And that, that's not, you know, that's not really why the position is supposed to be. So our kids at the high school now, five years later, have seen me in shorts and, and sweatshirts or, or in practice gear almost as much as they see me in dress clothes mm-hmm. where you can walk around. You not only see them in the gym, you see them in the weight room, you see them on the, the extracurricular side of the building. And that, that's not just athletes. I mean, when we have our music programs and we have our, our drama programs that are on the what would be considered the east side of the building after school you're interacting with those kids in environments where everybody is is somewhat in an environment they want to be in you know we don't always want to be in a social studies class that but, but sometimes we have to be but if we're out of practice or if we're at a performance or we're at an event we're there because we've we've made a decision that we want to be there and it's a different way to interact and and that that rejuvenated me in this career to to be candid is that that you find out that that kids are are not a lot different than they used to be mm-hmm. uh, one of the biggest differences and when i got back in the locker room for the first time in 10 years is i the iphone didn't exist so i'm, I'm walking in the locker room like why are we taking these electrical you know strips to with us the game well that's because every kid's got to plug in his iphone we got to take this big speaker that sits in the locker room and the, the way you pack for a game is way different today than it was in the early 2000s but it but it made sense, right? I mean, that's that's what it was. And, you know, kids and the adults are just as bad sometimes. But you, you get to see that's how kids interact. Mm-hmm. And, and I've had some just tremendous experiences in the last five years with kids that, that I would not have been able to have if I wasn't back into coaching. So... I don't want to be a head coach anymore. I don't that that dream is is gone. But but this is probably the most um, the the most benefit one of the most beneficial ways for me to interact with kids is, is to be able to help them in, in coaching not only in season but out of season. Well, has since when, when you were in high school, mm-hmm. has the curriculum changed a lot, especially in history? Not really, and I think that's maybe one of the most disappointing. Uh, pieces of it school doesn't look a whole lot different and we, we try to make school look different in in some regards and and we can get into how we diversify but we were talking off air even how you learn through youtube uh, mm-hmm. and some of the electrical stuff history in itself doesn't change a lot uh, I, I think we've gotten better it's particularly with our, our teachers at the high school now we're not memorizing as many names and dates and, and there's a lot of you have access to information we, we know that we can look up whatever we want and find out whatever we want but always trying to answer the question, how is this relevant to me? And I think that's what the good ones always are able to do is to take any type of historical context and say, how is this relevant to my life today? And and looking at it from a a framework of a 14 to 18 year old in southeastern Indiana, there's a lot of historical relevance to the thought processes, creativity, impact on society how this works and, and why I'm able to do some of the things I'm able to do today is because of some historical context or historical events over time relating to even as simple as, you know, I'm going to graduate high school. There used to be a couple of choices. You either went to college or you went to the military and yeah. that's, things are way different now. 
But at the same time, if we can teach that in the context of why does it matter and, and how is it relevant to me today, then I think that kids are able to draw that connection uh, well, to historical events. How, how do you motivate kids with everything at their fingertips, mm -hmm. their iPhone, the Internet? How do you motivate them to read? It, that is a that is a great question, and it is somewhere you can't uh, today. You can't just tell the kids to just go read it because it's good for you, because that's the quickest way to turn them out. Oh, I agree. You, you have to say this is why we're reading this information, and here's how it relates today. So you actually have to flip the script a little bit. And I don't. I think some people bristle at this, like, well, kids should just be this way. Well, we we did a generational study at, at the high school, part of my own learning over the last couple of years of of how to connect with Gen Z, and so. If you think of it this way, just under 91% of people that come on Batesville High School's campus every day are Gen Z, and the, and the rest of us are not. I've learned over the years not to try to put people into different different generations, but the, we have five generations at the high school on a daily basis. And so Gen Z kids want to know the answer and the why first, and then once they understand that there's a connection to them and they will find benefit in that, they'll do whatever you want them to do. They're motivated to learn more. So when you present something from a reading standpoint, and it doesn't matter if it's a two paragraphs or, or a book, you have to provide the significance and relevance to them first. And if you're able to do that, then they'll, they'll buy in. They're also really good detectors of when you give them something just to fill their time. And if you're giving them something to fill their time so that, that maybe you can go grade or that maybe you just need a grade in the grade book, they're checking out. And we, we see this right now with AI and, and chat GPT. And we even said this over the summer and we're fully embracing it, by the way. I mean, this, this is a phenomenal resource that, that mm -hmm. can really save you time. But if you ask uh, questions that aren't very good and aren't very in depth, you're going to get a chat GPT answer. Mm -hmm. and, and that's not what you're looking for. You ask yeah. great questions. It doesn't mean you have to answer, ask more of them. You ask a, a really good question for them to provoke thought and, and what they, what they may find relevance to them then you're going to get really good answers that actually are filtered really well through ChatGPT and then provides a context for their answer. And mm -hmm. that's the that's a process that we're going to develop not only with our staff but our kids. Well, one thing that, I, and I don't know how it is with a lot of the kids, but uh, what kind of fascinates me, when I was in high school, I worked at supermarkets and, and, uh, and this happened maybe two or three times at at Kroger. And one, I was kind of shocked because I think the woman was probably in her 50s cashier. So anyway, she rang it up, you know, and you, with the registers today, you hit a mount tender and you're changing that. Well, anyway, I think it was something like uh, I had Three, I don't know, some change coming, and I, I said, wait a minute here. And I gave her a quarter, and I said, here. And she looked at me like I had two heads. <laughs> yes. And she said, what am I supposed to do? I said, give me whatever the change was. Well, I hope you're right. <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah. this, this, is calm, this is dangerous, you know. And... I had a couple young kids do that too, and I sometimes they're relying too much on the calculator. You know, they're not using they're not using their brain all.
all the time. I, and I, th I think it's great. It's because uh, the registers basically are idiot proof. Mm -hmm. And but I think they should know both ways. They know how to make change. And do is there any classes in school today that teaches a kid how to handle a checkbook, reconcile a checkbook? Is there anything like that? Not enough. And and not, you know. It's been an interesting evolution is, is even in my own career, you know, we, when I started um, in administration, testing wasn't this, this big thing. And in the last 15 years, we spent a lot of time testing, 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 which the test is you're only really looking for is the, the result, right? And, and we found that that's been in a completely ineffective way to teach kids. And we're starting to see changes and we're trying to put them into, just as you said, uh, teaching kids some of the creativity teaching kids some of the skill, a skill-based education, such as making change. And so that's not always just that, that the calculator can do it or the register can do it, but also can I think through a process? Is there more than one way to get something done? And then what's the best route, the best route to do that? And mm -hmm. we have to build that time and, and creativity. What has been interesting to watch as, as we've looked to implement some different classes and, and even even as we say classes, we, we get into this concept of the class has to be for a semester long. Well, sometimes uh, skills don't take 18 weeks to and you know that meet Monday, Tuesday, Thursday in a traditional setting where you can use skill-based education in little short snippets with very targeted information, such as making change, such as ways that you can grow an entrepreneurial business or even some, some financial literacy or intelligence that goes along with it. And so that's been a challenge that we're looking to try to to implement our own ways, to create our own creative ways of teaching some of these skills to not interfere with some of the other things that kids have to take. And, and that's a whole different probably podcast of the structure of education and a high school redesign, which Indiana is, is it getting ready to embark upon, but it is a skill-based education. And, and that's one of the skills that's been lost. And in, in my, from my perspective, as we looked at the result only in and thinking through issues, giving giving a first draft, getting feedback, second draft feedback, how many possible ways we can solution we can solve something, and having a mentor kind of walk you through that process. We're looking to implement. We implemented many of those, a, a couple of those processes last year. We're looking to even increase that more with some of our community partners coming in and just talking through basic financial literacy or basic basic financial intelligence, particularly with our juniors and seniors because they have more experiences in, in the public, just as you talked about with Kroger or their own business settings. You know, because to me, uh, practical judgment or, or common sense comes with age. And when a kid gets out of high school or even out of college, uh, they don't experience real-world things. And, uh, you know, you can be book smart but you've got to have some common sense to go with it. And I always thought that in high school, if they hit certain things to deal with everyday life, and, and not everybody's gonna go to college, you right. know what I mean? And, and uh, I, I, I just think it's missing. And, and funny story, and uh, when we lived in Cincinnati, one of our neighbors was a professor at XU. And he didn't take a salary. He got earnings off of books that he's written, mm -hmm. scholastically. And uh, but all his kids got to went for te uh, 
want to uh, ask you free. Mm -hmm. One day, uh, he was kind of in a daze sometimes. He'd walk by and won't even see you. And uh, he'd have a St. Patrick's Day party every year, and we would be there, and plus everybody was a professor at XU. And common sense was lacking in most cases. Mm -hmm. In fact, he came to the house one day, and he said, my son told me that I have to change my antifreeze. Can you tell me what part of the car that that's in? <laughs> And I said, uh, Caney, just bring it down to one of my stations. We'll take care of it. He said, well, what about putting winter air in my tires? <laughs> now, this guy is brilliant. Yes. Doctor, do doctorate. And, I, and I'm thinking, this, this can't be for real. But at the St. Patrick's Day party, I told my wife, we're going to have to leave her with some of these people. I, I can't carry on a conversation yeah. with them. They, they all want to talk about is scholastically think real world just kind of out of, out of the realm. And uh, I, I hate to see, especially, I think kids get a great college experience, but they, they came out, they come out of college, they expect to be paid for maybe what they can do, not what they can accomplish or have accomplished. And uh, my one daughter, Donna, is a, uh, uh, she's an HR director for like 300 CPAs. And the demands that these kids are make on a company, mm -hmm. and they have no experience. It's just, just coming out of college, they pass their bar, and that's it. So, I, I and I, I, I hope, uh, I, I really think, I, I think, in fact, in history, the history of this country, I, I don't think from your freshman through your senior year, you can encompass it. And uh, I, I think. Is World War II, Vietnam, is it just kind of skimmed over? It's, it's interesting. We teach World War II in much more de uh, detail than we teach Vietnam. Yep. And, and so and I, I think maybe because the outcome was, was seen as, as more positive than, than whatever. But yeah. Well, we shouldn't have been to Vietnam. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and, and I think there are actually a lot of parallels to, to the world today, to, to Vietnam, where you start looking around asking the question, like, well, why are, why are we here? You know, and, and yeah. what is the the exit strategy, or what are the end goals, and and that's where some of the the teaching of relevance in history. And you, and you go back to the kids wanting to come out of high school and wanting to, to be in certain places and, and thinking that they should be at the top. I, I don't know that that's always different than than maybe generations at, at the past. It's it's an interesting to listen to every generation or a couple generations or, or look at the the current generation differently. I do think this with our kids today, they they are very interested in exper experiential learning. They want to learn. They call it hands-on sometimes. It's not always the hands-on creating type of things, but they want to do. They they are very active and they want to learn. They want to learn with their feet. They want to learn through experiences. And so, actually, teaching them the concept of failure is not fatal, and, mm -hmm. and so that's that's something that is evolving over time. That that failure is is a tremendous way to learn. 
Yeah, and, well, and, if you don't have setbacks, you're never going to improve yourself. And, and I think the kids, I know that through our own work, that the kids that are able to experience the, the, the feedback that the, we're going to suggest to make this revision, this revision, this revision, this revision, and to go do it again, those that can accept that process, the outcomes are way better. The ones that, that really struggle with, what do you mean I didn't get a, a 99%? Yeah. Well, it's, that's, you, you missed these parts of it or you didn't explain that. They're the ones that continue to struggle. And, and so we're working through that process and some of it's forced and some of it is, is way different where kids and sometimes adults, well, let me move, do this task and then move on, do this task and move on, do this task and move on. Sometimes we got to do less. And, and that's a, that's a on, on myself as a, from a leadership standpoint to the acceptance of quote unquote less work where there may be less number of assignments, but how often are we redoing that assignment? We, we, we call that critical thinking. Mm-hmm. Is that that are we actually practicing that? Do our processes in school and our, our technical side of it, the, the academic knowledge part of it, do they foster that type of environment where we're allowing kids to to do something and then redo it and then redo it in hopes that it, it finally gets to the point of a, a finished product? And it doesn't always mean perfection. Where then also we, we teach some of the skill-based education. And, and so oftentimes we call that soft skills, but uh, a term now that's gained some traction is durable skills or human skills, maybe transferable skills, where the ability to, to grow in a mindset over time, the ability to have perseverance and resilience and, and be able to, d- to demonstrate that, that I'm able to, to continue to find something even when it gets hard and I'll, I'll find my way through it. You know, everybody... Everything good is on the other side of hard is a, is a quote that Ed Milet uses a lot. And so teaching those types of skills, and that's not a definition, right? So too often times we'll say, well, here are Indiana's 18 employability skills, and here's a definition of them. Let's do that in a matching exercise. Well, that, that's the easiest way to, for kids to be like, I don't want to pay attention to this. What does a growth mindset mean and how do you find it? And to your example, the fixed mindset. Like if I'm only specializing in thinking in this area, then, then I'm missing all the other opportunities over here. How do I grow out in my knowledge and then find relevancy and connectedness to all of it? Same with critical thinking. Same with perseverance. Not every day is going to be a great day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not going to just continue to progress every single day. You asked about a timeline earlier, I think, it, uh, to become assistant principal to principal. And I think one of the things I missed early on was I thought that I was going to be an assistant principal for one year. Then all of a sudden, they're going to make, name me a, a principal of Carmel High School. Well, that, that wasn't going to be the progression. <laughs> yeah, that's not, that's not that. That's not how this goes. And and, and ten years, you know, ten years into this, I, I even in my current role as principal, the the amount of learning that's taken place since March of 2020 to now has has been exponential, and and in such a good way. I mean, the how we use technology and how we're able to connect and and how we're able to be effective and how we communicate and, and opportunities for us to grow. It's, it's exciting, not, not just for us, but, but how we relate that and how we create that kind of environment in our classrooms. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the one thing today, and it's just the change that has happened over the years. Uh, when I was younger and got married, and this, all my friends, same same situation. When the wife gets pregnant mm-hmm. and she finally quits working, it's done. Mm-hmm. She, it, it's a one-income family. Yep. Uh, today, it's always a two-income mm-hmm. family, and it, and it almost has to be. Yeah. But I think part of that. Um, 
some some of the kids with a two-income family, they don't have to work mm -hmm. part time. They don't people. They don't want to flip burgers at McDonald's. They, they they don't want to do things like that. And without that work experience while you're growing up, I, they're missing the boat. Mm -hmm. I, and, and, I, and I don't know, uh, I, I've met a lot of young kids that are, are working, but met a lot of them that have no intention of working high school or college. And I think the part that they miss, and it's easy to say kids are busier today than they've ever been. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but it, but I also know that there's there are ways to to find opportunities to work. And we we see some of our most successful kids that that go on to great things find that time to your point to fit in a very busy schedule, also time to work because right. that's not it doesn't mean that you're gonna to be at at that position forever, and then you probably won't be, but. To be able to interact with people that are of all different backgrounds. So if I'm in a if I'm in McDonald's, think how many different people come from into McDonald's on a daily basis. Some come there every day, and some are the only time they're going to be in Batesville, Indiana, is stopping at that McDonald's on the uh, uh, on the interstate because they're they're traveling to and from. We had a girl this year that just graduated from us, uh, Michaela Granger, whose mom is one of the assistant manager, or I think she's a manager there. She did her her mentorship experience with them as part of a class that, that I lead and just talking about the experiences of what she learned. She doesn't want to work at McDonald's, the, but, but she does want to work with people yeah. and the, the ability to communicate, the ability to take responsibility, the, to, to just listen when somebody complains, you know, not that sometimes the drive through isn't correct or sometimes it, it may all be correct and, and somebody still isn't happy and, and just the ability to listen, to take responsibility and see how you can make it right. Yep. That process that Michaela learned simply by working at McDonald's during the school day from a mentorship experience and then being able to talk about it. Uh, we had another a student who was, was working at um, Baxter right now and, and has been in the, the conference room where they're making this transition from Hillrom to Baxter and there's a lot of angst in the room. And, and she was fortunate enough to be able to, to sit in these meetings and, and her aunt and mom both worked in the company and She's, you know, she's kind of sitting in the back just, just watching all this unfold. And at the end of the year, we asked her, you know, what's some of the biggest things that you, you learned, you took away from this experience is that, that in this transition, that, that there's a lot of people that have a lot of angst. And that I, I also, and this, uh, this is what gave me a lot of hope and how we're doing some stuff is said, I now know how to talk to people that I think are really important. Mm -hmm. I said, well, tell me about that. What do you mean a little more? She goes, well, at the beginning of the semester, I'm like, they would never talk to me because they're really important. They don't care what an 18-year-old girl has to say. I, I said, well, how'd that go? She goes, well, I went up, introduced them, and I understood as part of our, our networking activity that I had to introduce myself and, and ask them questions. They all want to help. And I think that's something that we want our kids to understand is that adults and people that are in professional positions – they oftentimes will, are, are at time, will be reluctant to give back to other adults. Mm -hmm. But if a 17-year-old kid comes and asks you, hey, can you tell me your story? Can I, can I, can I learn maybe from you? They're going to give you 45 minutes or an hour just because they want to give back to the, to the next yeah. generation of kids because they want to help people. Yeah. And we're working hard at, at making sure that our kids understand the value of that. And sometimes that goes into our, our academic day, the way we have our, our mentorship and cadet teaching structure. But also just even the part-time job responsibilities. I think back to my time as a bag boy at Ulan Country Club in Lebanon, Indiana, making $3.92 an hour, which 
it was just below minimum wage even at that time. And but be able to, to go out and greet individuals when they got out and take their golf clubs out of the car, get them to the cart, make sure that their cart was ready for them, make sure they knew what their tee time was, just the interaction that, that went in with that. I met a lot of great people that I've never interacted with since, but it, it broke down some of my own uh, insecurities of talking to quote-unquote important people at Lebanon, Indiana at the time. They just became normal people, and, mm-hmm. and they knew me, and I knew them, and, and we kind of knew what to expect from each other. That's where the real growth comes in, and the more our kids can experience those opportunities today, the better off they're going to be as they transition into different phases of life. What, what percentage of uh, graduating class this year are... Uh going to college would we'll, you say? we'll have 70 percent of our kids go to a four-year college and, Four, and okay. i don't know if that's the right number or not uh, what we're seeing at times and i think this is a good thing larry is that they our kids are, we're still gonna have a very high percentage of our kids go to a four-year institution but as we've as we've had uh, 10 years in now with our partnership with ivy tech and that I means many of our cor- our kids are gonna take courses at the Ivy Tech campus or, or on the Batesville High School campus, they're going to graduate, many of them as sophomores, just under just over 40% of our kids are going to graduate with at least 30 college credits and oftentimes more. That shows them a couple of different things. One is the that they have the ability to go to college. So if you have a kid that, that maybe doesn't think that the college is right for them, they, they take that experience with them. At the same time, it shows them like maybe I don't necessarily want to go to a four-year institution just because I quote-unquote have to and take on all the debt. Uh, or if I do go, how quickly can I graduate with something that, that is very uh, marketable and that very transferable into to a career? We also see kids waiting a little bit longer. Maybe take a gap year, go right into a trade, make money. I, I do think that our kids today understand the value of money maybe than the last better than the last couple of generations of graduating classes. And from this standpoint, it, one of the worst financial decisions that you can make is going eighty dollars to $100,000 in debt just because you were supposed to go to a four-year degree. Right, I agree. And we see kids uh, say, well, I'm going to prolong making that decision or I'm going to commute to different places or I'm going to fill out scholarship applications because that's that's free money if I I earn it. And we're starting to see that change. And specifically at Batesville High School, I I think we've done a a good job of kind of talking through the financial aspect of it. But the parents, I give a lot of credit as well to even from their own experiences where – in this community in particular, you, you don't have to go to a, a four-year college to be successful. We have a lot of great companies here locally that that are, are starving for a workforce, especially the next generation workforce, where we have some programming set up at the high school where they have on-site experience, where you're walking in and you're making $22, $23, an hour in a very upper mobility company that we have here with Tool and & Die and, and, and Hill and & Brand. And Wood Miser, for example, as they become an, an emerging partner, Med Miser, there's real opportunity here. Absolutely, career, career opportunities. Our, our health, our health campus here with uh, with Margaret Mary, those provide specific examples of kids that they give them a better uh, a better process and decision making as far as what I want to do next. And I often think the most uh, inappropriate question we ask a kid is, hey, what do you want to do the rest of your life? I mean, at, at my age, I don't know what I want to do the rest of my life. I mean, that's you'd never thought you'd be doing a podcast, at, and, but, but here you are. <laughs> and so we, we phrase it as, what do you want to do next? Yeah. And, and whatever next is, then let's, let's be all in and trying to figure out what next. And that next will lead to another next and, and another next and another next. But we want to provide you with that process. Uh, we talk a lot about providing every kid that we have that goes through our system every opportunity, every process, and every experience. We're going to guarantee those three things. 
we're never going to guarantee the outcome. Mm -hmm. if, if you can go through that progression of opportunity, process, experience, the outcome is going to be based upon how well you've, you've handled those three things. And whatever outcome it is, there's always opportunity to pivot to something else if that's what you decide you want to do. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because uh, through, through the years, you know, uh, you tend to change. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, a lot of times people have asked me, you know, boy, you just did exactly what you wanted to do. You know, and I said, no. I said, you know what? If I could have been selling rubber ducks and make more money at it, all I cared about is the results from my family. Mm -hmm. I said, I, it, it wasn't a certain field that I was interested in. I mean, it was just that that was my main goal was family. And uh, but I think that today's today's generation, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of scholarships available mm -hmm. to the graduating class. Uh, some of the opportunities, whether plumbing, electrical, welding, I mean, incredible, incredible money without any debt, you right. know. And the thing is. Um, not everybody can be a college grad. We gotta have mailmen. We gotta mm -hmm. we gotta have factory workers, and and it's the mixture that makes this country great. And I think I've noticed in the past couple of years there's been less emphasis on college, and I and I think that's a good thing. I, I couldn't agree more, and and that's where we want to get. As Indiana looks to redesign high school, and we've been, we at Batesville Community School Corporation have been a part of, at the table through a lot of this, is getting kids out of high school during the high school day. Mm -hmm. When you look at, you know, even your granddaughters as they come through, I mean, their, their day after school is just packed. You know, if they're in athletics, there's some type of extracurricular, I mean, there's just not always a lot of time to, to add more into the day. And that, that's okay, too, because there are tremendous benefits yeah. in doing things in the extracurricular realm. But as a kid progresses through high school, particularly the junior and senior year, there's room in the schedule to create opportunities for them to be off campus and experience just what you talked about, the trades, the, the, just the, an office environment experience. And so we have, have set up our schedule for 25 years that allow kids to be off campus in a very defined way with, with mentors or different experiences that they can learn this. And so some of it is going to the Career Center um, and, and Versailles. We're actually getting ready to add on to the High School of Tech Center in the back and Wood Miser and the City of Batesville have been tremendous partners in, mm -hmm. in making this a reality. And, and some of it is is welding. Some of it, that, that's, a, that's a term and a skill that gets thrown out a lot, but at the same time of, of supply chain and logistics, yeah. uh, looking at just different technical knowledge. You know, working in a factory today uh, is way different than it was 20 years ago. 20 years from now, to, to project out is is the automation as, as that continues to, to come. But the automation has to work. And are we teaching kids the programming and the, the troubleshooting and the creativity mm -hmm. we talked about earlier to make sure that the automation part of it works? That's a high demand job that is only going to grow over time. And can we establish and, and simulate those types of experiences in our high school setting. Some of it will be inside our walls and some of it will not. We, when we send six kids to baseball tool and die for three hours, uh, two days a week, th th what a tremendous experience for them to be able to do that, to, to walk around and t talk to industry professionals and gain a knowledge set that we, we would never be able to provide. Yeah. 
Well, you know, it's, I, I have a, my one grandson, uh, he'll, he's uh, be a senior at Mississippi mm -hmm. State, once going to broadcasting. Uh, his dad, through knowing the right people, uh, got him a job, uh, an internship at uh, Channel 19 okay. this summer. So he shadows different reporters, and he gets to sit in on all their meetings, uh, listen. He is getting just a wealth of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And while he's shadowing him, he also gets to do recordings of maybe somebody that you just uh, uh, his uh, uh, newscaster interview that guy will go along with him, and he does the interview. That never hits hits right. stage, but it would be good on the resume. And he told me that this is the best experience he could ever imagine. And I'm sure the same thing. Three hours a day at, at, at Batesville Tool and Die, and looking at the different departments, talking to people that grew up, with mm -hmm. Tool and Die, and uh, did I, I don't know if I told you on the phone or not, did I tell you the, where Tool and Die was in 1976 and where they are today? I, I've heard the story oh, over yeah, times yeah. Of, of talking with Jody and, and some different individuals uh, there, but, but what a success story. Yeah, I mean, from 1976, $895 million to today, Nine hundred and some million yep. dollars in business—it's crazy. And that also that this tells a story of progression too, right? So it's not two weeks from now, you know, tool and die all of a sudden exploded. You have you know fifty, 50 well, and years. the people that they yeah. keep they keep getting better. They they, they there's some people who really make good living at tool and die, at med miser, wood miser. I mean, great industry right here in Batesville. And we're very open, Larry, too. We're, we're trying to recruit kids back to this area. Yeah. You know, and one of the things I think that's unique to Batesville is that, that people want to come back here. And we often joke with our kids that sometimes at 21, 22, maybe this isn't the most appealing place in the world. But but at the same time, if you want to raise a family, if you want to go oh. come to a great school corporation, opportunity for careers here, where else would you rather go? And so the more we can get kids to see all of the opportunities that are there for them, We've had a for the last ten years. We've had with Margaret Mary uh, Health a, a a mentorship program where kids are spending significant amount of time in the, the hospital and different medical settings. And they, at the end of every semester, they give a report out to all the department heads. And so I was fortunate enough to be able to go to the one in, in the end of May. I think there were four of our kids that saw live births at, at some point during the semester, mm -hmm. and and they all got emotional. They all they all talked about the experience, and that was the hook. To get them into the medicine, I, I don't I don't know how many high school principals have their kids see live births during the normal school day, but but I'm one of them, and and it's it, to to see kids that find their passion just just through being in the room. Sometimes you know yeah. I, they weren't directly involved with it, but they were in the room and they got to see it, and that that was the moment for them. Like I want I want to be in the medical field, and at the same time we've had some kids that have said I want to be a doctor or I want to do whatever, and they they. They get in there and they see the first sight of blood and they pass out. Well, uh, that's probably not going to be for you. <laughs> my, my teaching daughter mm -hmm. was going to be a nurse 
and uh, she passed out when one was delivering a baby. So yeah, <laughs> she's a teacher. <laughs> and, and you know, and I, I I don't want to be in the medical field. I thank God for everybody who does, but that's not something that that I would want to do. It, and when you give kids those opportunities to see what they like, maybe what they don't like, we've had kids before that said, I, I want to be an engineer. And they go to, to the different mentorship site. At one point, we had one at Hill Rom. A kid said, Mr. Allen, I mean, I'm literally going to go nuts in here because it's so quiet. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, I, I can't take the quiet of being an engineer. I, I sit in this room all day and I, we're testing. It's really cool stuff, but I, I can't take it. That was great to know because he was getting ready to go to, to spend you know $100,000 on an education to be an engineer. He actually went the pharmacy route because he liked to talk to people. So he could still have some of the quiet and the, the, the part of the pharmacy. But at the same time, you know, he wanted to interact with people in, in, in different ways. And so those are things that you can't put a price tag on them. Uh, they don't fit in a nice box sometimes of what school wants you to be. And, and we've done a really good job over the years of making sure. And we cannot do this without community partners. I mean, yep. we, we have... Uh, and I talk to, to countless schools all over, not only Indiana, but in the nation. And they say, you know, the hardest part is getting the community buy-in and getting community to, to accept a high school kid. Well, we we've, we've are very blessed that, that we've kind of gotten over that hurdle. And we're always looking for new partners. And it doesn't have to be some robust experience. But to, to work with a high school kid show, gives that kid the experience, first of all. But it also gives you a window into what the next workforce looks like. There's a lot of... Uh, maybe angst or, or apprehension of working with a 16, 17-year-old kid, you're going to find, though, they have a lot of strengths and they have a, a thought process that maybe that you don't possess. And, yeah. and there's a lot of diversity that's created, just even the, the, the creativity of thought. And, mm-hmm. and so the different thinking comes in can create a very diverse work environment. So that we, look that we think there's a lot of benefit to, to both sides of that equation. And we're happy to help provide opportunities for kids to learn and for our community members to see what the next workforce yeah. is going to look like. What is the... Uh uh, what's the student body uh, uh, numbers uh, for the graduating class this year? So we we graduated 175 kids this year. Uh, we are we are right in between that 700 and 720 mark right now at the high school, which is a tremendous size high school for kids to be able to do multiple things. How many more students could you actually handle without some kind of expansion? We could probably fit in a thousand. So, so we're we're a long time for being at capacity, and I say that because we've we've been able to structure our schedule in the last 20, 25 years, where a lot of our kids take, particularly at the junior and senior level, courses off campus, and so that that provides a lot of flexibility in the building. Whereas maybe when we went through school, that that once you went to school, you stayed there all day, and then you you went home. Now, if you're sitting in front of Batesville High School over time, you you'll see kids coming and going off campus all day long, and it's not. Not because they don't have something to do or they're escaping per se, but, but they have courses at Ivy Tech, they have courses at the Career Center, they have courses in mentorship and get at teaching all throughout the community. I used to get phone calls um, back, this is uh, probably over a decade ago, where people would say, they'd call the high school and they'd say, yeah, there's a, do you know there's kids at Wendy's? And like, Are they causing problems? You know, if they're, if they're being disrupted, we'll be happy to go over there and get that, that fixed right now. No, they're sitting there eating quietly lunch. We just wanted to let you know that they were out of the building. I'm like, well, okay, well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Let us know if they're causing a problem. But that's something that we've allowed over time for them to do because I, I don't care that they eat, went, eat lunch at Wendy's, but I do care that they're at Ivy Tech at 1140, not walking up that ramp at 1142. Yeah. Yeah. And so as long as they're in class at that time, 
that's all that matters. Yep. We, we give them that 40-minute window for them to negotiate how they, they want to do that. They can eat lunch at school and go to Ivy Tech, or they can eat lunch at Wendy's. It doesn't matter to us. Okay. Well, uh, oh, we're getting up there in the time. But uh, anyway, uh, what, what, like, uh, what are your plans for the future? I mean, how... How are you thinking of retirement at a certain date, or are they going to have to carry out? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I'll ever retire. I I'm, I get bored easily, so I, I like to do different stuff. Yeah, you, you serve as a role model of doing different things at, at different times at all different ages. So, I I don't know. I, I think one of the things I've learned later over the years is I've stopped asking what's next. I'm trying to create the the best environment where we can at the high school now and. I really like the concept of the high school redesign of a skill-based education. Uh, one of my mentors that I listen to every day, Darren Hardy, has a phrase that, you know, the grass is always greenest where you water it at. So we're, I'm doing the, the absolute best, and I've got, a, so I've got a great team around me, not only in our office, but our teachers and our community, school corporation in general. I mean, I, you look around at, at how fortunate we are to have the type of the community support and school corporation we have here. This has become home uh, mm -hmm. as far as, as home base. I would like to get into at some point down the road working with other schools to kind of bring the structure and, and skill-based education philosophy that we, we have here at high school at Batesville High School because I think there's there's great benefit to this approach to education that can go in some different areas. I had the, the fortune to be out in uh, Utah last week with as part of the CAPS network and uh, we're actually working with Ford NGL right now, Ford Next Generation Learning Experience that uh, Ford is the the the, this is the foundation arm of the Ford Motor Company about redesigning high school. And that's that's taking a, a, a starting to become prominent in Indiana of making sure that you have guaranteed experiences for schools. And and what they mean by that is instead of just taking field trips, you you have when you go to Wood Miser, for example, that you explore every part of Wood Miser, everything that goes into it from a personnel and career standpoint. Mm -hmm. If you if you're looking at a not for profit, uh, if you're looking at uh, going to the zoo, for example, that there's a lot of things that go on. It's not just veterinarians at the zoo. There's yeah. a lot of pieces that go into that. That becomes a more robust and, and I don't even say well-rounded. It becomes a much more intentional educational experience. And as we're looking to build that here in Batesville, and we've got a tremendous team doing it, this philosophy and this vision can be taken to other places. And so I have no idea if that'll ever happen. I don't. Yeah. That's a goal of mine. Now, do you have you have children? I do. I have a I have a daughter that just graduated, and I have a junior. Okay. So, what are their plans? My oldest daughter Hannah will uh, enroll in IU Columbus this this spring. She wants to be a teacher, uh, English uh, elementary teacher, English as a second. Well, that's language. a family. Thing. It is a family thing, <laughs> and, and so my my basement has been her classroom for a really long time. Her, her younger sister Maddie was was often the student, but. Um, but that, she's very much like my my mom uh, and my sister, and uh, her aunt also is a, is a teacher as well. So, wow. so that I think that's been in her blood. I think that's what mm -hmm. she wants to do, and and uh, you know she'll she'll succeed. But this is an example of two where high school has changed. She'll she'll graduate in three years, and so not only will she graduate debt free by going to IU Columbus, but she'll also get a, a year head start on, on her career. And mm -hmm. and so from a financial standpoint, my youngest daughter Maddie um, is a as a basketball player, volleyball player, track, she she would embody the type of student who wants experiential learning. If if you make her sit and and learn, it it had better be relevant because she's ready to check out. She doesn't like to sit. She likes to be moving all, all the time. She uh, indicates that she wants to get into dental hygiene. I think this is the 
third or fourth career track that she wants to be on. So we'll oh, just that would be the worst thing. I, I just can't imagine staring at people's mouths all day. Uh, oh. uh, it's not what I would want to do, Larry, but... Uh, I, I, it has to be done. Yeah. Oh, yep. man. So, well, we're, we're about an hour and seven minutes, and um, any words of wisdom before we sign off? I, I think that, Larry, the number one thing that when we look at a skill-based education for kids, and I, I don't like to use the term the swindle and pings, swings back and forth, but mm-hmm. I do like the concept of education today, particularly in Batesville, Indiana, is, is working to put the kid first. And that, and that doesn't just mean that they were filled in with technical knowledge and all, or academic knowledge and off they go. It's skill-based. And, and we sometimes can lose sight of the benefits that we have here in Batesville. And, and this is a great place to, to, to go to school, to live, to work, and in a community feel, and and we're very blessed to have that in the school corporation. I look forward to our to our graduates. I look forward to the type of kids that we're producing. I, I think the future is in great hands with the type of kids that we have. Where our job and our mission continues to be able to facilitate their learning, so that they can not only have the academic knowledge, but making sure that they understand the the durable piece of the skills that they have, and that resiliency is good. You you don't lose. You either. You either win or you learn. Yep. And uh, there's a lot of learning that goes on in this world. And over time, that little incremental improvement day by day, you know, the compound effect. And we talk about it oftentimes in money, but at the same time when skill, you know, just the compounding upon the skill day in and day out, the consistency of learning provides a really great opportunity. And, and so I, I couldn't be more excited with where yeah. our graduates are. And, and as long as they have a balanced life, that's yeah. the I, most important thing job you know family first job is just a means to make it work and then you have to enjoy yourself because you have a long working career and and i think and i I could not agree more i I wish i maybe i would have embraced that a little bit earlier in my life but i as we talk with our kids and finding the balance and it doesn't mean that that there's not time to work hard but when it's time to disengage disengage put the phone away i've learned that over the last 18 months yeah. is just put the phone away sometimes and engage with people well i was in business for 50 some years and when i came home for dinner there was never a thought about it mm-hmm. um, you know we it was all family yeah never 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 brought work whether good or bad never brought it home and you've raised a tremendous family larry thank you i've been i've been uh, pleased to get to know them a little bit as, as i've gone through the school system oh, great. So. and anyway Oh, thanks for being here, and I think it's time to sign off, and uh, let's play the national anthem here. And I want to thank everybody for listening. God bless you. God bless the United States of America, and I'll talk to you on the next podcast.